Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. And that's what I try to do. There, right on time. Delet, door, move, hang, entrance. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts, then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Amen. Okay, we got some prayer requests. Um, Bob up in uh, Maryland, he uh, called yesterday, told me that he was in the hospital. He thought he had a heart attack, but uh, he does have COVID. And this morning he says he's having a tough time breathing. And uh, so we want to keep Bob in prayer. And then Shannon emailed me today. She didn't tell me what was wrong, but she said she got sick as soon as she got home, which was last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just today she's telling me that and she's asking for prayers, but I have no idea. And I wasn't going to ask if she wasn't saying. So um, she's not feeling well in some way or another. Uh, Jackie's sister, Francie, had outpatient breast cancer surgery about one o'clock today. I have not heard how it went, but uh, uh, they were going to just do a lumpectomy and see if that takes care of it. So keep her in prayer. And then the girl that had the stroke. I told you about here in Sarasota at the mall I take care of, um, uh, Emma. I went to see her today, and I am thoroughly surprised at the, the change. She's speaking well. She's sitting up. She's smiling. Still has no feeling, literally. This side of her lip, she has no feeling. This side, she does. Your body cuts right in half when you have a stroke. And so, literally, this side of her body is is starting with they say it always starts with the foot and goes up and gets better and she can move her toes no problem now but she can't really feel them but there's there's things going on and she was looking i was so elated when i left there i was on cloud nine and then um uh, we had a couple friends come from uh israel today they arrived in miami and they drove up here uh, they got here uh about an hour and a half ago and they stopped and Somebody rolled down the window, and she looked so bad, it took away my joy as Rhoda. She is miserable, literally miserable. So uh, they're at home right now, the place where they're staying. and uh, But they are here in Florida, safely back from uh, uh, Israel. And so uh, you want to keep Rhoda in prayer. And then Don is not here. He said he might be here, but he's not here. He broke his foot. Uh, yeah, he emailed me this morning, and he said, he uh, was lifting up his basset hound, which is a really big dog, and he did it wrong and broke his foot. And I told him, now, we, this is at least the third time we have had a class here on basset hound lifting. And apparently he didn't pay attention. I said, I hope you're paying attention to the Bible more than your basset hound. So we're going to have another basset hound lifting class next week on Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I hope everybody will be here for that. Don't those classes start off by saying you should get a, your, uh, a little uh, chihuahua? Chihuahua. First, don't have a basset hound. Have a chihuahua. Okay. But he wants his basset hound, so we'll have to have another class on how to lift basset hounds. Um, obviously, I'm kidding about that. But anyway, his foot is broken. Uh, so I don't know how he's going to do it at the funeral. I told him that... Um, funeral? I, I'm sorry, the wedding. Did I say funeral? The uh, <laughs> Well, there you go. The wedding, I don't know how he's going to make it. I told him I would be willing to go ahead and um, uh, take the... Thank you. I will be willing to take the... Um, uh, 
wedding and delay it until September, until his foot is healed. And he didn't seem to appreciate that, so I, I assume we're still going to have the wedding on Saturday with a broken foot. Um, okay, now two more things. Those are the prayer requests, but um, uh, I, I want to, and I'll try to remember to do this on Sunday as well, but I asked for help for Silas and Kenya with um, money to uh, put down the foundation of the school they're building. Mm -hmm. That need was completely met. That was thank you for whoever did that. And then the girl in the Philippines who had all kinds of bills for um, the death of her husband, for the hospital bills, for the burial bills. I mean, that lady had bills up to her neck. And in the Philippines, a little bit of money is a lot of money. All of her needs are met. And hey, she's man. very, very appreciative. She's so thankful. So for the people that helped, and like I say, I'll try to remember that on Sunday. Uh, I know they're all very thankful about that. So uh, good stuff there. Okay, um, so we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, you've heard the uh, prayer requests, the people that are sick, the people that are have broken foot syndrome and other things. And Lord, we would ask that you would be with them and help them through those difficult times. Uh, we certainly pray for Rhoda, who looked just miserable, Lord. Uh, give her a little bit of rest, and we'll pray that she's up and doing handsprings tomorrow. But uh, we thank you that they're here safely, and that we just pray that you'll uh, pave, pave the path for them to uh, get settled in wherever they're going uh, once they've made that decision. But until then, we do lift them up, and all the other people as well that we've mentioned. Lord, be with them and help them. And I'm very, very grateful for the change I've seen in Emma. Please continue to help her through that stroke, and uh, we'll pray that she's out there making sandwiches for people again very soon. Lord, your hand is so good to us. You're just, it's open, and your grace just pours out on us, and we're very grateful for that. So once again, we thank you, we praise you, we ask for a, a, a good Bible study without error in doctrine, but if it is lacking, please let us know. Get us the word so that we can correct that. Lord, thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So uh, then we have today, which is the 9th. Anybody? Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so it's June. I know that much. And 9. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Show respect for the king. When Peter told Christians to show respect for the king, do you know who the king was at that time? It was Nero. In the latter years of his reign, born in AD 37, Nero became emperor of the Roman Empire in 54. The first five years of his reign were known for their sound and orderly administration because, <clears throat> excuse me, Nero allowed the philosopher Seneca and Burrus, the commander of the Praetorian Guard, to rule the empire for him. Able men, appointed no doubt by Seneca and Burrus, governed the provinces with wisdom. Nero's troubles began in 58 when a devious woman named Popea set her sights on him, becoming his <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> becoming his mistress. The Roman historian Tacitus described her as having every gift of nature except an honorable mind. Under her influence, Nero gradually threw off all restraints, ignored the advice of his wise counselors, and plunged into immorality and crime. Popea first introduced Nero to murder, uh, induced Nero to murder his own mother. Then when Burrus died in 62, she forced Seneca to retire from the imperial court. 
thereby removing all traces of their formerly orderly rule. Popea next persuaded Nero to divorce his wife and marry her. Nero then had his first wife murdered and her head brought to Popea. However, Popea got a taste of her own medicine in 65 when Nero, in a rage, kicked her in her pregnant belly, killing her. Nero's excesses exhausted the Roman treasury and were the beginning of the Roman Empire's decline into bankruptcy. He surrendered himself with greedy, I'm sorry, he surrounded himself with greedy, arrogant men. The situation deteriorated rapidly in 64 when a fire destroyed over half the city of Rome. In response to rumors that he had started the fire to free space for his megalomaniac building plans, Nero placed blame instead on Christians of Rome. Thus began the first systematic persecution of Christians. They were arrested in large numbers and subjected to unspeakable atrocities. The Roman historian Tacitus reported some were covered with the skins of wild animals and then torn apart by dogs. Some were crucified, some were burned as torches to light at night. These were the very Christians to whom Paul had written his epistle just seven years earlier. Evidently, I'm sorry, evidence indicates that both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were martyred by Nero as part of this persecution. As Nero became more and more consumed by his despotism, sensuality, and delusions of grandeur, the Roman provinces accelerated their demands that he be removed as Caesar. His buffoonery, nice word, his buffoonery hit new heights when he went to Greece to complete, I'm sorry, to compete in the Greek games and because he was Caesar, was allowed to win every contest. In the end, Nero lost his will to live and did nothing to stop the growing rebellion against him. He ended his own tragic life by committing suicide on 9 June AD 68. In despite, of, in spite of Nero's despicable character, Peter commanded his fellow believers to honor and respect the king. Christians are to show respect for the king, regardless of how bad things get. I will stop right there and say I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Reflection. How are you doing at honoring the elected officials with whom you disagree? Think of the elected official you like the least and determine how you can apply the command to show respect for the king. As Christians, we are to be responsible for citizens of our community, state, and nation. To show respect for the king does not mean to condone everything elected officials do, but it does mean to respect the office they hold. Okay, I'll agree with that. It is the office that you are showing respect for, not the person. For the Lord's sake, accept all authority, the king as head of state, and the officials he has appointed. In the case of the United States, the ultimate authority for the government of the United States is... The No, it's not the president. It is the Constitution of the United States of America. If we have somebody in the United States of America that is violating the Constitution of the United States of America, as is happening with the current administration headed by the man in the White House, um, I won't call him our president because I do not believe he's legitimate, but I uh, will say that uh, he is violating the Constitution by allowing the southern border to be open. It is open. That is against federal law that has been decided upon by the Congress of the United States of America. And therefore, he deserves no respect. He is violating the document that got him into the, the office that he's in in the first place and that gives him the power that he has. And in doing that, he is an illegitimate president. 
okay? That's all there is to it. You know, if they want to ban me from YouTube for saying that, it's the truth. If he is not upholding the Constitution of the United States of America and the precepts that have been ordained by the government, such as the laws that are set forth by the Congress, approved by the President, and not challenged and overthrown or overturned by the Supreme Court, which they are on the books as legal laws that have been approved, then he is not functioning as a legitimate president. So there you go with that. That's all there is to it. The Constitution sets the parameters for the United States of America. Okay, That may be the same in other countries. It may not be the same. But in the, the uh, United States of America, we have a Constitution. When it is being violated, there... You know, we had a person this past week, a congressman, that was uh, interrogating people about the gun laws of the United States. And the person behind there says the Second Amendment to the Constitution. And the congressman cut him off and he said, don't tell me about your blank, blank Constitution. I don't care about that. Right. The very document that allows him to be a representative of Congress is the document that he's saying doesn't apply. And that is not a legitimate congressman. No. He is illegitimate if he says that. He has lost his legitimacy. Let me but guess. Is a D next to his name? There was a D in front of his name, yes. Anyway, this is just the way it is, okay? People will try to say, they'll try to shut you down by saying, you know, this from the Gospels or this from Romans 13. But the ultimate authority of the United States of America is the Constitution. That is where we base our laws. And if they are not going to uphold the laws, that are, if they don't like the Second Amendment, there is a process for doing away, away with the Second Amendment. And if the states agree to that, it requires two-thirds of the Senate and the House or something, maybe three-quarters. It's a very high bar, and then the president has to agree with it, and then three-quarters of all of the states have to ratify that. And if they do that, then we don't have to have guns anymore. That's the law of the land. And until that is no longer the law of the land, because it's been taken out of the Constitution, then that's the way it is. They have no right to take away your Second Amendment. Okay, so there you go. That's where I stand on that. If people don't like it, I don't care. That is what establishes us in this nation. And there's, a, there's an amendment that comes before that. Yeah. That it, you are exercising. At, which, I'm exercising that right now. Now, I will say, and I said this to the guys that I uh, were here from uh, Ohio on Sunday, and I had dinner with them a night ago, and uh, I said to them, and I've said it many times during the uh, report each week, is that the First Amendment of the United States is the most important amendment in principle. There's no doubt about it. But it is the Second Amendment, which is the most important amendment in practice. Because if you don't have a Second Amendment that you can practice, you have no First Amendment. You have no freedom of religion. You have no freedom of press. You have no freedom of speech. The Second Amendment of the United States is the only thing that guarantees that we have a First Amendment. And people need to wake up to that because if they don't, they are going to throw away their rights. And that's all there is to it. So uh, our current administration is, because of their policies, illegitimate. Okay, um, we are in the book of Philippians, okay? And um, I don't think we're going to get done today, but we may. So we're going to start right now. It's Okay, um, Ephesians 4, six. 6. So you start where you want. Well, I'm going to start at 4.1. Okay. It's everything we did last week, plus it's so short. So, okay. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. 
I plead with Yodia and I, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sinti, Sintiki, Sintiki, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal fellow, yoke fellow, <coughs> help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident, evident to all. The Lord is near. Six, do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Okay, this one's a little, not much, but be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. It's close. Okay, um, it, it's funny. Somebody emailed me about this just yesterday, and this individual says, I am always anxious. I'm, I'm you know, does that mean I don't have faith or am I not being a good Christian? And Paul is giving us an ideal to set forth. Okay, we are human beings and we are stuck in bodies that have all kinds of neuroses. Some people have chemical imbalances in their brains. Some people have uh, family members that are out of control and it robs their sleep. And you could call any of those things a type of anxiety, okay? Um, and my answer to her was that if you are in love with the Lord, if you honestly have uh, you know, uh, your heart directed to him. You know that you shouldn't be anxious, but you're suffering with that and you're acknowledging the, that to him. Then you're in right with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with you. You're operating properly. It's when somebody has no conscience about their state before the Lord that things are not operating properly. And that's the same with any, any of Paul's exhortations. We have limitations. We are finite beings. And there are things that are going to, at times, make you anxious. That's all there is to it. When Paul says, don't be anxious for everything, we'll talk about it in a minute. That is an ideal set forth, and that is what we should strive for. Now, and I said this, if you think about it, you have absolutely no control what's going to happen 10 seconds from now. That's all there is to it. it whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And so if you want to let that dictate your life, if you want that to uh, make your life unhappy all the time, that you can't control what your daughter is going to do next week. You can't control whether your husband is going to go out and have another affair. Those things, if you're going to let that dictate your life, then you are going to be anxious, okay? And you need to not do that. But I don't think it's lacking faith in this person's case so much as it is just an innate way that this person is made up. And as I said, some people have chemical imbalances. Some people have, uh, you know, they have uh, parents that beat them. You know, all these different things that go on in our lives that create neuroses. And um, uh, so we have to live with who we are. But Paul is setting forth an ideal. And we'll go ahead and get into the comments now and we'll see. I don't remember what I typed eight years ago on this, but here we go. This is one of the more, here it is, difficult exhortations Paul passes on to us. We are tied to this world. Exactly what I was just saying, I thought it eight years ago. And we are continuously moving forward in the stream of time, not knowing what lies ahead, even one second ahead. Trials, troubles, and tribulations enter into our lives, and we have no way of knowing how they will turn out. And yet, Paul asks us to be anxious for nothing. 
Surely this takes great effort, and yet it is possible. Anxiety is the state of fear of the unknown and how that unknown will affect us personally. But the Bible reveals that nothing is truly unknown. God has laid out time before us. He is outside of time. He knows what is coming, and he has already given us the final words of Scripture to prove it. And because of this, if we can truly hold on to this, we can act in accord with Paul's words now. It's being able to process what the Bible tells us. God is in control. God knows the end from the beginning. If we can hold on to that, and that's exactly what I told this person. If you can hold on to the fact that you have no control over it and that God does, then you should be able to apply this, okay? Instead of being anxious, we are to come to God, as Paul says here, in everything by prayer and supplication. I hope I remember to send this to her because I didn't think of sending her the commentary itself, but I'll try to remember to do that when I get home because it's a little more thoughtfully laid out at three o'clock in the morning when I type these than when I type something at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and my day is filled with other stuff. And I think this may add on to what I already told her. In the Greek, both words, prayer and supplication, have an article in front of them. Thus, both are distinct things, and yet they are inseparable, okay? The articles don't need to be translated in this case, the prayer and the supplication, but the point is that because they have articles in front of them, he's not saying they're one thing, prayer and supplication. It is prayer and supplication, two things, okay? But they are inseparable. Paul is saying that these two things should be there before the Lord. Prayer is a word more general in meaning. On the other hand, supplication is a specific petition. The two together should form the basis of all of our communication with the Lord. We are to pray our general thoughts, and we are to note specific items which are upon our heart through supplication. Okay, I went to a funeral yesterday, uh, a girl that I've known since first grade, poor her. Anyway, uh, she, um, uh, her father died. And now this is a person that is a psychologist and she has been a psychologist for years. She is no dummy. She counsels people on, when there is a murder or a suicide in a family or in a, uh, we'll say a shopping center, she's the first person that'll get called. Before they call anybody else, they call her. We've got a shooting and you know, that kind of thing. Um, and yet she was going through her own type of thought process yesterday at the funeral that you could tell, and she said afterward, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling with him being gone. I'm really struggling with him being gone. It's like it's not real. And so much so that afterward, right before they closed, she actually said, where's Charlie? And she pulled me up there, and with her left hand, she was holding mine and her husband with her right, and she was squeezing it really, really hard as she was closing. So uh, she obviously was going through some type, and I wouldn't call it anxiety, but whatever it was, she was going through it. And this is what we, and now her father was saved and she said her father was always saying, I, you know, I'm saved, I can't wait to go see Jesus. And she said, that made all the difference in my life. It made all the difference in, you know, I don't have to question, where is my dad? I, I don't need to worry about that. So it made a big difference for her, but you're still dealing with the process of being separated from somebody that you have known for 57 years of your life. And all of a sudden they're gone. You know it's coming, we're all getting older. Eventually one of us is gonna not be here in a week. You know, we're gonna come in and there's gonna be one last person here. And it's gonna be hard 
to process that. Even though we know it's coming, it's one of those things that happens. And you have to live through those. You have to get through those type of things. And that includes prayer and supplication. If you know the Lord, you know that you can talk to him about those things. Lord, I really miss this person. Lord, I'm struggling with this. And he, he's there for us, okay? When we're talking to him, it means that we acknowledge that he is a part of the process, all right? And so, and I know she will. She's as saved as she can be. I mean, she's a wonderful person. Uh, her husband is a great person. Their children are, they love the Lord as a family. They're just a really great bunch of people. But there's a time where you have to process things that you didn't think you were going to have to. And now she, like I said, she's the one that does this for other people that struggle with things. So there you go. I mean, we, we all, and that's why my words to this person would be, I understand we're limited. We're in bodies that are, are just beaten up with all kinds of life's trials. And some of us have it much worse than others. And so this is an ideal. This is something that we should do. And when we can't do it, when we're really struggling with the anxieties of life, we should be able to say, I want to talk to the Lord about this. And that is where our comfort will come from. And it's not going to come from anywhere else. Otherwise, you're just going to be anxious about everything all the time. And you have no hope when it's all over anyway. Poor people that don't know Jesus. I don't know how they make it. All right. In addition to this, <clears throat> talking about the prayer and supplication, we are to do it, as Paul says, with thanksgiving. Whereas the prayer, excuse me, I got something in there that's killing me today. Whereas the prayer and the supplication are in the singular, the word thanksgiving is in the plural. We are to open our mouth with thanksgivings. We're just to be overflowing with it to God, both for those things we have been given and also for the opportunity to lay before him those things which we hope for. It is in this way that we are to let our requests be made known to God, Paul's words, okay? We are to lay our hearts out to him and hold nothing back as if it is too small, too trivial to pester him with or too great to weary him with. In all things, we are to so come before God. God is not unconcerned about our smallest little trials and he is not going to be overwhelmed with our biggest trials. His shoulders are big and he can handle it, okay? We should be coming to him all day, over everything. You're driving down the road and you see something really cool. God, that was so wonderful. Thank you, right? We have this beautiful sunrise this morning. It was marvelous. From about an hour before sunrise until after the sunrise, the clouds were in the sky. They were catching all different colors of light. It was marvelous to see. And some of the people that were on the sunrise page with me were saying how great God is. And they're just thanking the Lord because it's, he's worthy of it. He gave us those things. He gives us nice smells. You smell something today that you haven't smelled since you were two years old, your brain will pick it up and remember it. You'll remember the moment that you smell, smelled it because that is the way God has made things so that certain memories, certain songs, certain smells will bring back happy times. And when they come, we should thank the Lord. And, but if you think about it, something that the Lord has done, and I... I'm sure there's some person out there that is an exception to this, but I don't know any personally. When we have bad times, they overwhelm us, but over time, they lessen and they lessen. And pretty soon we don't remember that horrible feeling anymore. It's gone. 
We remember that it was a bad time in our life, but the bad time is gone. However, happy times and happy memories never, ever go away. When we smell that smell, or when we hear that song, or when we see that picture of that person from 28 years ago or 52 years ago, that happy moment comes back to us with absolute clarity, okay? Now, a bad time might be 9-11. We all remember where we were and we were overwhelmed with it, but when we see the picture of 9-11 now, we don't have the same feeling of horror that we did. God has allowed us to get through that. And so God is, in his infinite wisdom, has given us the ability to appreciate good things forever but to forget the bad things as time passes and they never come back, okay? The memory of them does, but not the sensation with it. Because I think that if we had all of the sensations of the bad times with us like we do for the good times, we would be so overwhelmed as a species, we could not exist. And he knows that, and so he's given us the ability to somehow put them away behind us. Nobody would have more than one child. Oh, wow, that's true. he said nobody would be a, 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 would ever have more than one child if you, if you held on to the bad times. Uh, mom's laughing about that because I was number three. <laughs> three of three. Okay, life application. If you struggle with anxiety, what should you do about that? Do exactly the same thing that you are instructed to do with all other things. Bring it before God. Even the issue by which we are directed to make our prayers is something that we can pray about. So there you go. This is a great God. He's asked us to do this through the hand of Paul, and that is what we should be doing. And yes, I understand that people that can't do these things in the same level as other people feel that they are somehow failing God. No, their bodies are failing them, their minds are failing them, but God is there. If you are saved, you are saved. You are his child. And if you're trying truly to be pleasing to him and these things keep coming up, you just keep talking to the Lord about it. You just keep letting him know that you are struggling with this and he is there with you through that. I guarantee it, okay? And these are exhortations. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like you will do well if. Yeah. It's not saying you shall. Or yeah, you shall. And if you don't, you're going to lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is... This is Paul saying that this is what we are to do. This is what you are to do. And by doing that, you will be a happy and content Christian and you'll also be a better witness for others. If you are always anxious about everything and saying that to other people, then they're obviously gonna wonder, well, why would I wanna be a Christian if this person can't get through their own neuroses, not understanding that that person has their own issues, okay? The person that's saying exactly that has his own issues too. All right, and when he comes to Christ, he's gonna continue to have his own issues. We're all individuals, we're all on our own level of knowledge before the Lord, our own position in Christ. We're all in a different position, and it's very easy to judge others, but it's not so easy to uh, accept our own failings. So there you go. Okay, seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, this one says through Christ Jesus. And I don't know if it's dia or if it's n, but anyway, maybe I'll address that. But um, this is one of those great verses. It is a great verse. It's one of those verses that you will remember and you can think on it. But it is also one of those verses that I have heard in almost the most apostate churches of all, as if they would never cite Paul in something like, you know, homosexuality is wrong. 
but they will cite him in this and they'll they'll give you all that peace at the end of their sappy sermon okay this is one of those verses that you will hear in any church at any time whether it's in the right context or not but um, it is great words or they are great words and so we'll go ahead and analyze them uh, Paul's words now are written as a prescription containing the medicine for the anxious soul of the previous verse you're anxious be anxious about nothing and um, with by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and what will happen after that and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus you can see the process okay so with that knowledge of what Christ has done and of what he promises for us because of what he has done instead of being anxious we have the ability to receive the peace of God Paul's words the peace of God it is true that we cannot see the future as it unfolds before us but we can see the ultimate end which is promised to us and that's what I tried to tell this person that emailed me you know he's already got the end figured out look to the end of the Bible don't worry about the details of your life right now because the end is going to be glorious that's how you get through these things and because of this if we can just keep our eyes on what we know lies ahead because of Christ we should be able to obtain and live in this peace the peace that Paul states about that is promised by the Lord it is a peace which was promised in the Old Testament countless times Isaiah records that it was available in the Lord I'll take you to Isaiah and we're going to go to chapter 26 and Isaiah 26 verse 3 says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you that's going first class that is going first class absolutely and guess what that's what Paul is saying there too he's just confirming that we'll go on with Isaiah for a second trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength this is what we should think about when we're I'm anxious about this do this instead for he will bring down those who dwell on high the lofty city he says it is he lays it low he lays it low to the ground he brings it down to the dust the foot shall tread it down the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy the way of the just is upright oh most upright you weigh the path of the just and he goes on and on and on speaking about the wonders that are to be found okay so that's the piece that Paul is speaking about now it's a piece that's referred to even in the Old Testament and then it goes on when Christ came the promise was repeated for those who looked for the coming Messiah. Upon his birth, the peace long promised had taken human form as is seen in Luke chapter 2, where it says the following. Luke 2, and then in verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, some versions say on whom God's favor rests, etc. But good enough right there with this version. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <laughs> and after his work was almost complete, Christ Jesus promised this same peace to those who followed him. He said it in John 14 and in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid you have heard me say to you I'm going away and coming back to you 
If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. You know, people would, I probably should have stopped with the last verse because now I'm going to get off on a little bit of a tangent. But uh, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses, but other people as well will say that, well, Jesus said the Father is greater than me. How do you explain that and say that he is, uh, you know, on an equal level with the Father? And he is saying this is the human being that he is. Okay, he is the human Jesus. He is fully God as well, but at, in his humanity, he is speaking about the Father, God. But at the same time, he's also speaking of his position within the Godhead. As the divine Christ, you have very clearly in Scripture a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. There's no doubt. Each one is called God throughout Scripture or is given the attributes of God throughout Scripture all-knowing, able to read the hearts and minds, on and on. We could go on and on with the attributes of God that are applied to any or to all of the uh, members of the Godhead, depending on which attribute it is. Okay, no doubt that Jesus is God. So how can the Father be greater than the Son if he is God? It's because just as Abraham is considered greater than Isaac, they're both human beings. They're both exactly the same before God, but he is considered greater because he is before him. That doesn't mean that God the Father is before Jesus in time, okay? We think of things in time, and there is no time within the Godhead, okay? God is outside of time. He is before him in the sense that as he is presented within the stream of time, God the Father is first, God the Son is second, God the Holy Spirit is third, as he is presented to us, but not in the Godhead itself. Okay, so when he says my father is greater than I am, he is saying that he is before me in this particular sense as it is being revealed to you. Okay, there's no need to get into all of these uh, thoughts about why Jesus is not God or why he's not making that argument there. He is making a logical argument based on the nature of the Godhead as it is perceived by humanity, okay? So, we don't need to uh, worry about that too much. There's more involved in it, but that just came to mind and I thought I'd throw it out because I do get that question a lot. There's not a problem with that, okay? And it is not as the Jehovah's Witnesses try to claim to you that Jesus can't be God because blah, blah, blah. If that's the case, then there is a contradiction in the Word of God because Jesus is clearly presented as God throughout the Bible and therefore this isn't the Bible and it's not uh, the God of the universe. And so they'd be following the wrong guy anyway, okay? That's not the case. We are following the right God as he has revealed himself in the pages of this book. They are not because they have a contradiction in their thinking and in the God that is presented to them as they see it in their Bible, okay? Okay, anyway, John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you. It is a peace, as Paul notes, now his words again, <clears throat> which surpasses all understanding. It could never have been conceived of by man that complete and total restoration with God would come. Man could never have believed that what Christ did would absolutely assure us of a state where anxiety and conflict with God would be eradicated. We would never have thought that, not in a million years. But in Christ, it has come. Even now for the believer, if we try to get our minds around what the work of Christ has accomplished and what it promises, we simply cannot. It is way too far for us to understand. But the fact is that God has done these things that 
we do have that piece available to us and what we need to do is to appropriate it based on the fact that we truly believe that God has done these things and what is said in the future for us will come to pass. We don't need to worry about the temporary things. Yes, it's disconcerting when you have a child that is not following the Lord, that is never called on the Lord. But guess what? You can't do anything about that. You can't make that child a Christian. Only that child, 27 years old now and still not living for the Lord, only that person can decide. There's nothing you can do about it, and so you just have to let it rest in the Lord's hands. Keep your prayers up. Keep being a good witness. Don't try to shove your faith down their throat because I'm telling you, you'll only alienate them more. All you can do is just witness faithfully, be content, and you know, if you go to a wedding or if you go to a funeral, you exhibit the Christian attributes that you should, and people will see that, and eventually, hopefully, they will want to know, okay? No guarantee in that. That's their choice, but you can't worry about it because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. All right, <clears throat> why would God have done what he did in Christ? It is mind-boggling. And how could such a marvelous assurance be granted to us when we continue to stray from his word, even after having received, even after having received Jesus as Lord? It is truly astonishing. Truly such peace surpasses all understanding. And yet, because it is true, it is able to, as Paul now says, guard your hearts and minds. A guard is a sentinel. It is one who watches out for dangers, sounds the alarm, and defends against the onslaught of the enemy. This is what the peace of God can do for us if we simply trust in him. It can happen. We can look beyond the trials which afflict us, and we can have the assurance that whatever they may be, they are temporary and futile in stealing us away from the sure promises which are ours to claim through Christ Jesus. Once again, that's Paul's words, through Christ Jesus, okay? Now, I, before I go on and read any more of this, it just came to mind that if you believe that you can lose your salvation, then I would adamantly state to you that none of this that I am saying to you right now applies. Because if you can lose your salvation, you might as well just be the most anxious person on the planet. You have no assurance of your salvation. You have no assurance that, I was just saying, why would God have done this in Christ? How could such marvelous assurances be granted to us when we continue to stray from his word even after having received Jesus as Lord? Every single Christian that has ever become a Christian has strayed from the Lord. I don't care if they say they haven't, they have. In their minds, in their thoughts, in their actions, in some way or another, they have not been perfect before the Lord. And yet the Lord continues to save them. But if you believe that you can lose your salvation, the fact is that none of this should apply to you. You should be as anxious about your existence as you possibly could be. That's what I would say to you. Because you have misread the word, you have misunderstood the doctrine of eternal security, and you might as well just be as miserable as your doctrine teaches you, okay? God, what I, I have to like really laugh about people that do that is like they're insane. always bringing it up. Yeah, it's like you're going to lose your salvation. It's like we're not even talking about that. We're, yeah, that that's not right even now. It's like an it's, issue. It's, what right. are you bringing that up? <laughs> because those I, are some insecure it. people, and you know, <clears throat> the arrogance that overflows from somebody that says you could lose your salvation is immense. Right. Because they're saying that I'm, I'm obviously not going to do right. it. Yeah, they're judging you, but I'm not going to do it. 
okay? It's just an arrogant system. It's a failed system. Don't listen to people like that because when you do, you are the one that is now going to be bearing the burden that they are putting onto you, okay? Listen to right doctrine. Listen to what is sound. Think on the Word of God and what it says. And think on... God makes a decree, okay? We are just talking about God a minute ago. He is where? He's not in time, is he? He's outside of time. When God makes a decree, it is an eternal decree. When God makes a covenant, that covenant is eternal. Now, as far as the Mosaic covenant, that Mosaic covenant is eternal until it is fulfilled. And there's a difference there. The fulfilling of the Mosaic covenant brings in the new covenant. But when God speaks something, God's decrees are eternal. There is no change in him. He will never decree, this is what I promise for salvation, and then change that. When he says, this person is saved, that decree is eternal. And if people can just understand the nature of God and stop looking at their own lives, which they change, their mothers change, their fathers change, their boss changes his mind every 15 minutes, and all we see is change in this chaotic world, God is not like that then God is not going to change his mind. I, the Lord your God, do not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and maybe tomorrow. No, it doesn't say that. It says forever. There is no change in God. And when he says that your salvation is yours, it is done. Okay? And so this is the hope that we have. When somebody is telling you you can lose your salvation, I'll say it again, you might as well be a neurotic, miserable person. Okay? Because... This cannot apply to you if you believe that. But it says right there, through Christ Jesus. He's able to guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The final term is the key to the entire thought. It is only through Christ Jesus that this peace is attainable. It is he who died for the atonement of our sins. It is he who is resurrected unto eternal life, being found without sin. And it is he who guarantees these things to us when we are found in him. We can have the absolute confidence that God's word is true and that his promises are sure because Christ Jesus has gone before us. If we just remember that, our lives will be happy. They will be content lives. And you will be able to hopefully put that anxiety behind you. Let the Lord lead you in your salvation. Okay, You may know your salvation, but you're not letting the Lord lead you in it. And that's what you need to do. He has gone before you. Rest in that. Trust in it. And have your hope in that. Life application. If you really believe the message of Christ, then you can cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. The peace of God can, in fact, fill you completely and absolutely if you simply meditate on what his work means for you. Allow yourself to be filled with this peace. Christ has prevailed. What can the world do to us? And, you know, we sit here in a Bible class and we've got an air conditioner on and we've got, you know, uh, lights. lights and we've got all of this stuff and we, every one of us either had lunch today or we didn't have lunch because we didn't want to have lunch. But it wasn't something that we are missing, okay? It's a lot different for people that are facing no food at all for a whole week and being able to say, I know that the Lord has peace for me. And yet those are the people that generally have more peace
than people like us that have all of the stuff that we have in life. We're all worried about the things that we have and we're not gonna take them with us when we go. If your house catches on fire tonight, it's all gonna be gone. So why would you worry about it? These things are things that we have no, absolutely no control over at all. Now those people, all that they have is Jesus. That's all that they have, okay? If they're in a prison in China because of your faith, you're gonna be sitting there. I, The guy that did the mission um, uh, course for me at Southern Evangelical Seminary, great guy, looked just like my grandfather. He even wore the same kind of sweaters, everything. He looked just like him. Anyway, he was saying that uh, there was a missionary that was in China and he happened to be in a prison one time uh, with a guy down the way that was a Christian. And he said, the sweetest sound I ever heard in my life was that man crying out to the Lord in the middle of the night. He said it was like music. This guy's being tortured. He's in prison because of his faith. And he was hearing a person that was so in love with the Lord. How can we do that? How can we do that? We've got all this stuff to take our hearts and minds away from the Lord. It's all just stuff. If you just let it all go and you just understand that whatever is coming can't be taken away. Whatever is promised will be given. That's what we need to focus on. And I'm telling you, we will be so much happier. Read it again. If you really believe the message of Christ, then you can cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. The peace of God can, in fact, fill you completely and absolutely if you simply meditate on his work, which with work, what his work means for you. Excuse me. Allow yourself to be filled with this peace. Christ has prevailed. What can the world do to us? Now, I understand that his work can only be understood from his word because there's no other source of Jesus except the word that tells us about him. People can tell us what the word says, and that's what happened for, through most of church history, right? I, most people didn't have their own Bible, and so you went to church, or they had these traveling people that would tell stories about Jesus from the Bible, okay? And they had uh, the annual, uh, you know, the crucifixion things in Germany that they still do to this day, 400 years later. They have the, uh, the uh, Easter celebrations that they're live enactments of it. They've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. The story can get there through that, but the true knowledge of what is going on with the Lord, what he did for you and what it means for, for you is right here. This is where you're gonna get it, okay? If you wanna wait once a year and watch the play at the uh, local place, it may not come next year, but if you wanna read it every single day, this is where you're gonna get that hope. I would ask you to cast aside your cares and to read the word and to just keep meditating on the promises of the Lord because that is where your sweet spot will be. Now, it's easy for me to say this, and oh, Charlie must be happy all the time, and I'm not happy all the time. I'm a very grumpy person. My wife and my mother will both tell you that. Some of the people here that go with me on mission work at times will tell you that, but I am content in my heart concerning the Lord and concerning the future, okay? What we have is a gift, and what we don't have, that's okay, and what we do have that's taken away, well, that's the way it is. I mean, this is the world we live in. But in the end, we can be content about what the Lord has for us. Okay, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that if you just keep this in your mind and just keep thinking on him, meditating on, on him, listening. Did I tell you that uh, Johnny Cash has got the, um, uh, uh, the Bible read by Johnny Cash on YouTube? Did no. I mention that? No, I it's wonderful. I've, been li I've listened to uh, John and Matthew and 
Mark. I just, I'm in the middle of Mark right now. But anyway, um, uh, that's in addition to listening in the car. But it's on YouTube. And, you know, it's Johnny Cash's voice, which is always a plus all by itself. And you just go type in Johnny Cash Reads the Bible, and then it'll come up with all... <laughs> if you want to do just one book, then you type in Johnny Cash Reads Luke. And the reason why is because if you just say Johnny Cash Reads the Bible, you're going to get some video. You're going to click on it, and then it's going to be out of order when the next one plays. But if you type in Johnny Cash Reads Luke, you'll pull up the playlist. And you just start with Luke 1, and then it'll automatically go to Luke 1, 2, Luke 1, 3, Luke 1, 4. It'll take you right through the whole book of uh, Luke, okay? And then from Luke 1 to Luke 2 to Luke 3, it, it'll just take you all the way through it. And so um, you just have to remember where you click off because the next time you want to just go through the playlist and pick out the next one where you left off. It's great, okay? How you do this? Oh, some years ago, I don't know, but you know, I, I really, really am enjoying it because I like his voice. I always like the person. You know, I sent it to Sergio. I said, Sergio, he said, what are you doing? Actually, I didn't. I was just listening and sometimes I'll just click record whatever I'm listening to on the, the radio and I'll just send it to him. And I did that and he said, oh, that's Johnny Cash. And then he said, well, Johnny Cash? He said, that might be an AI computer reading because Johnny Cash, you know, why would he do that? And he said, I saw the movie on him, and I said, the movie didn't tell the whole story. Okay, Johnny Cash was a wonderful Christian person, but he was also a person that struggled with a very black soul, okay? And he admitted that always, you know, his friends admitted it. Man, that guy struggles. He was just, uh, but he was a good Christian. If you wanna listen to some of his Christian music that he composed, one of the nicest songs that he did he went to the Folsom prison and he sang for the, the people in prison. He did that in other places as well. But he did one called, um, uh, He Turned the Water into Wine. Wonderful song. He sings it for the guys in the prison and he tells about what inspired him. He said, I was in Israel and when I left Cana after going there, he said, I just couldn't believe it. He really did it. He turned the water into wine. And he said, by the time I got to the next place on the bus stop, I had written this song and he played it for these guys. Great song. I won't play it now because if I do, we'll get shut down for a copyright violation. But go listen to it. Great song. Anyway, yes, he was a Christian. Yes, he struggled. Okay. But um, I have no problem with the fact that he reads the Bible and it's in his voice. It's mm -hmm. wonderful. Okay. We're in 4.8 now. Finally, <clears throat> brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, <clears throat> whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is a long verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, different word there, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, like my beautiful wife, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Okay, that's a very long verse, and I bet you the commentary isn't long. I have a tendency to do that. Let's see. No, it's only a page. Okay, <clears throat> four eight. Once again, as in verse three one, Paul uses the word finally. He loves to do that. I'm going to finish up now, and then he keeps on going. Yeah. Unlike there, though, he is truly concluding his epistle, giving the final closing thoughts to his beloved church in Philippi. Again, as in 3.1, he calls them brethren. He is showing his fraternal love for them in this manner. It is, therefore, a call that his coming words are to be taken in that light. 
He wants them to understand that just as he would pursue certain things with his walk, this is what he wants them to do also. They are united in Christ and should all conduct their affairs in that manner. With this in mind, he next says, whatever things are true. In the world, there is truth and then there is falsehood. Okay, I'll stop right there and I'll say that I was at the Tuesday prayer meeting that I go to and the guy that leads it, he's a very nice guy. He, um, he lives on the East Coast. He lives in Fort Lauderdale and he drives all the way over here for work every single day. Can you imagine that? That's a long drive. Anyway, I think eventually he wants to move here, but every day he drives over from Fort, and I bet it's getting costly. I bet he's hating that. But anyway, um, he, uh, he started to talk about truth. That was his subject for the uh, prayer meeting this past week. And uh, he said, can anybody tell me what truth means? And I said, yes, truth is what corresponds with reality. And he said, um, he looked at his notes and he says, yes. And he said um, uh, something, uh, truth is um, uh, our perception of reality. And I said, no. I said, it's what corresponds with reality. Our perception of reality may be skewed, but reality is not, okay? That chair is black. You may say, oh, that's, you know, that's blue because of blah, blah, blah. Your perception is skewed. But truth is what corresponds with reality. What is reality? It is what is before us. Now, we can skew it purposefully or unpurposefully. But anyway, um, uh, there you go. That, that is what, how I would define it. That was uh, stated by Norman Geisler, and he's absolutely true. He's absolutely correct, I should say truth is what corresponds with reality, okay? If somebody says it's true that a man can get pregnant and it does not correspond with reality, then it is not true. That's all there is to it, okay? It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people claim. The only thing that matters is if truth, if what you say corresponds with reality. If it does not, then it is not true. Okay, so having said that, with this in mind, he says, whatever things are true. In the world, there is truth and there is falsehood. Quite often, that which is false seems easier to comply with or maybe easier to digest. But such an expediency is never the appropriate path to follow, okay? That is the trap that churches have found themselves in. They have taken the expedient path and they have said that, oh, it's easier to just simply go along with what's going on in the world today as far as the, you know, the left's agenda, okay? They will continue to get people staying in the church. They will continue to get money coming into the church. They will continue to, so they take the expedient path, okay? I'll read that again. Quite often, it is that which is false, and that is what is being taught in most churches. I won't say most churches because that's kind of a hyperbolic statement. I will let that, well, it may be, but I, you know, I don't want to say that there are, the superior word has a, you know, a monopoly. monopoly on that. There are plenty of people out there that preach the truth. <clears throat> They're just not big open voices anymore. But as far as the world in, in general, I would agree with that. Yes, most churches have fallen away. But quite often that which is false seems easier to comply with or maybe easier to digest. But such an expediency is never the appropriate path to follow. Okay, I was with a couple of people over the past week and they said that uh, there was a person that was a pastor of a church and he was always 
preaching about the sin. You know, if you've got the sin in your life, you need to uh, you need to uh, evaluate that. And he, they said it was great sermons. He was doing just great things, and now he never talks about that at all, ever. It's all just the the modern you know woke agenda, and. I said, how could he have been a faithful preacher and changed like that? And they said, well, he couldn't have been. All right. And, you know, I don't know. I didn't know the guy. I didn't know anything about the guy. But they said that you know, they just saw that he was more willing to keep the church going than he was to preach what is correct. So, Excuse me while I kill the cockroach. Oh, oh yes, please do. Um, that's from the uh, place next door. Okay. So, but such an expediency is never the appropriate path to follow. The Greek word is an adjective which helps the which gives the sense of attested because tested. Literally, what cannot be hidden. Helps word studies is the one that defined that. It is found in the book of John more than any other book. Okay? Jesus used the word many times, highlighting that truth is a most important aspect of our understanding of that which is correct to follow. Following this, he says, whatever things are just. The word in Greek gives the sense of that which is honorable. It is used four times in the New Testament only by Paul. And this is its only use outside of the pastoral epistles. He uses it three times in the pastoral epistles and only here, that which is just. Helps Word Studies defines it as what is august, dignified, has gravitas, weighty, deeply respected because viewed as majestic, having gravity, grave. Such things are in contrast to that which is lowly and indecent or even depraved. He next says, whatever things are pure. Again, Helps Word Studies provides us with the intent behind the word. It means pure to the core, virginal, chaste, unadulterated, pure inside and out, holy because it is uncontaminated, undefiled from sin. For example, without spoilation, even within, I'm sorry, yes, even within, even down to the center of one's being, not mixed with guilt or anything condemnable. Okay, that is pure. The next word, he says, is whatever things are lovely. The word is found only here in the entire Bible. Vincent's word studies defines it as adapted to excite love and to endear him who does such things. He then goes on to whatever things are of good report. This is also a word found only here in the New Testament, and it means something which is spoken in a charitable spirit, worthy of praise and of a good reputation. From there, Paul goes on to note if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy. The first word translated as virtue is used only here by Paul, but Peter uses it in both of his epistles. It speaks of that which is of moral virtue, even excellence, perfection. The second thought, which is translated as worthy of praise, is well translated. It, is, it indicates something that is truly laudable. In all of these, he has stated, he's, in, I'm, let me read that again. In all of the things he has stated, he sums up with the words, meditate on these things. It is to be the Christian's duty to carefully think on and pay attention to each of these things. We are to direct our minds on such things and not anything which opposes them. If we do this, 
then our hearts and minds will be properly influenced and our lives will be led in a manner which is acceptable to the Lord. Okay, so having said that, we're going to read that verse. You read it because you got it in front of us. One more time, same verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Okay, he's asking you to elevate your mind. He's asking you to put yourself in a state that will not be degrading in any way, shape, or form. That is a hard thing to do especially when you look around at the world and you see the way things, you know, I was in the military. You know, I was very, very proud to be in the military. I am, you all right? I'm thankful for people that have served in the military. But nowadays, I have no respect for the military. I've lost it, okay? It's very hard to have respect for a group of people that are out there making rainbow-colored bullets for our soldiers. It's a very hard thing to do. Now, I was with a couple of guys that were veterans, or at least one of them was a veteran, and he was in during the time of Jimmy Carter, and he said it was terrible. You had to look for everything. If you wanted to have a a Jeep fixed, you had to go steal somebody else's parts from their Jeep, okay, because nothing was available. Everything was hard to get. People were unhappy, there were drug problems, it was terrible. And then Ronald Reagan came in and he turned that military around where people were very proud to be in it, okay? And you could think on that which is honorable and noble in the military again. You could set your mind on those things, all right? And then no sooner does that happen, then we get another president in a couple years later that just starts to tear it all down again. Starts, And so there's this up and down effect. We are not to be that way in our Christian walk. We're not to let different things affect us. Are you okay? Okay. All right. We're not to have different things affect us all the time and come against us, but it's hard not to because like I said, I was in the military. That's a part of who I am and I have an appreciation for people that served honorably. Okay. And so it will easily bring you down from that state that Paul is asking you to be in. And you don't want to let that happen. You want to keep your mind on the Christian perspective. Forget the United States of America. If it tanks, it tanks, okay? The people in prison in Vietnam right now because they're Christians couldn't care if America made it or not. It has nothing to do with anything to them. And if we can put all of these things of this world behind us, and if we can just say, I am going to focus on the good things that are found in Jesus Christ, we're gonna be a lot happier in this life. That's my exhortation to you, even while I'm sitting here stewing over the things that are going on in the world around me, okay? We are physically tied to this world. We are physically tied to the monetary system that we live in. We can't live without it, okay? And when you go to fill up your tank, I was well above three quarters today, and I went and filled it up anyway, because I know it's gonna be 20 cents higher tomorrow. And so I just went and I filled it up, and it was, like $30 for a couple of gallons. It was, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm really not happy about this. But at the same time, I can say someday, I am not going to be here filling up a tank in this planet. I'm going to be somewhere where I don't have to ever fill up a tank, you know. And maybe if you're a car buff and you want to have cars in heaven, God will let you. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm, people ask me questions like that, and I have no idea what's going to, what it's going to be like. But it's not going to be unhappy like it is now. So right now, while you can, I want you to do that, is to 
try to elevate your mind above the things of the world. Life application. Go back and read the words of this verse. We just did. Think on them today. As you do, take time to consider what they are saying. Should negative thoughts come your way, redirect your mind based on what Paul exhorts here. That's exactly what I said to you a minute ago. I understand that I was in the military, blah, 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 but redirect your mind to those things. In the future, continue to follow this pattern. You will grow in holiness and in a life which is glorifying of the Lord. I know it's hard. I know it's not an easy thing to put up with the things that are going on in the world, but we will get through it. Keep your mind on the Lord in the meantime, and you will be much, 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 much happier. Okay? 4-9. What are you? What are you? What are you? Oh, Burke's got something. There's going to be motorcycles in heaven. <laughs> There's going to be motorcycles in heaven. The sound of David's triumph. Oh, that's there right. The sound of David's triumph. You know what? That's funny that you say that. The guy that, that uh, I went to the funeral yesterday, this guy, okay, he was a... Uh, ex-military. He worked on the big base that used to be in the middle of Oklahoma. It's not there anymore. It's been named, made, uh, renamed. I don't know. Anyway, um, because it's not the name when I was in. There was no base named that. But this is big base. Maybe it's whatever. Anyway, he, uh, he was there. He worked on B-52s um, or the flight line, or He did something with that. Okay. He came out and he was a uh, fireman here in Sarasota. Remember when they had the volunteer fire department here in Sarasota? You didn't get paid. These guys went out and they actually, there were three uh, teams and that was it for all of Sarasota County, okay? And this is up until the 70s. So um, the, uh, uh, he did the fireman thing. Eventually he joined the police force, okay? And he became the first, the very first team of SWAT members in Sarasota County. This was a tough, tough guy. Um, he had to take people on, you know, U.S. Marshal type service somewhere. Uh, and he would tell them, if you try anything on this flight, you will leave dead. He was very tough. He was tougher than nails. But the point that I'm making is that he was cremated and his urn was a motorcycle tank. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. It was, it was, so obviously he was a motorcycle guy too. And I didn't know that about him. I knew he was a big, tough guy. I knew that he was a gun buff and all the other things because I've known Paula my whole life, but I didn't know he was a motorcycle guy. But he will be happy that you said there are motorcycles in heaven, apparently. And I will have to send that to Paula to let her know that uh, she'll appreciate your joke. Okay, David's triumph. Read it. Tell me. The sound me. of David's triumph was heard throughout the land. Okay, the sound of David's triumph was heard throughout the land. I'll have to remember that, and that, I'll send that, that to Paula. That, that's in either Samuel or Kings or something. It, it's yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Absolutely. In one of the versions, it'll read that way, and that's very funny. I've never heard that one. I've heard some. I've heard some good Christian jokes, but I've not heard that one. So you got me on that. Um, when was uh, baseball mentioned in the Bible? In the big inning. Yeah. How about? Um, uh, uh, tennis. Tennis is in the Bible. I don't know. When Joseph served in Pharaoh's courts. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. It's all there. Uh, Samson, greatest comedian in the Bible. He really brought down the house. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, okay. Where were we? We were reading. Um, where am I? Oh yeah. We're read. Oh, did I read the life app? Oh, I see. We're over I here. Think. Four nine is where we are. Yeah. See, you got me off on that tangent. And uh, okay. 
I could give you a lot more of those jokes, lots and lots of them. So Go ahead. I'll read it. All right. Okay. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. The things which you heard and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Close, but a little different structure there. Okay. So... Paul again calls attention to the need for following the example he has set down. He did this in verse 317, and now he continues to exhort this to his readers at Philippi, and thus us. He's not just writing to Philippi. These words are in the Bible. They are his letter to all of the people of the church age, okay? He is writing to us. He may not have known that was the case at the time, but that is the case. He did this by saying, the things which you learned and received. These are the things that he would have directly instructed them through this and through any other epistle and also anything that they would have heard for him as personal instruction while he was with them. Okay, now all we have is this epistle. God found it sufficient for us to have the words, the book of Philippians and nothing else that he said to them, nothing else that he may have written to them in other letters. God found this sufficient. But all of the other letters that are written to the other churches and what the other apostles said in their epistles as well all comprise the New Testament and it is sufficient for our life, our practice, and our doctrine. But Paul is saying to them, just take the things that I have told you and apply them. Okay? So, they, uh, anything would have uh, been from him personal instruction. They are the things he received by revelation and which he would then have instructed them, explaining that they are the words of the Lord. They learned from him and they received it as under the authority that he claimed. He then says, and heard and saw in me. These are the things they would have noted about him personally. He gave instruction, but did he live in accord with the words he spoke? When a pastor instructs someone to avoid sexual sin, does he then go out and engage in sexual sin? Paul conformed his life to what he received from the Lord. Therefore, his words were conformed to what he instructed, and his actions conformed to that as well. And because of this, he exhorts them by saying, these do. In essence, as you have learned from me, as you have received from me by what I taught, as you have heard my words, and as you have watched my actions, all of these you are to likewise follow. In doing this, there will be a reward. Compliance does not lead to a dull existence, but it generates a glorious relationship in that the God of peace will be with you. Let me turn my page here. There is an inversion here from the words of verse 4-7. There it said, the peace of God here it says, the God of peace. God left us his peace through Christ Jesus, but he did not leave us in the process. We have more than a simple token left behind. We have the giver of the token dwelling among us and in us when we conduct our lives in accord with what he has revealed. The opposite will then be true. If we fail to do the things in these, we will have neither the peace of God to guide us, nor will we have the God of peace with us. Instead, we will have nothing but trials, anxieties, and frustrations on the one hand, and no fellowship to comfort us on the other. What a price to pay for being disobedient children. 
right? We don't want to do that. We want to be obedient children. We want to uh, go ahead. First Corinthians 11, 1. I'm glad you didn't tell me about another motorcycle because I would have just gone crazy. Okay, hang on a second. First Corinthians 11, verse 1. He's tying something in with this. Um, let's see here. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 13. And 12 and 11 and 1. Whoops, two, two pages at once. Okay, 11, verse 1. Imitate me just, oh yeah, there you go. Just as I also imitate Christ. Yeah. Absolutely, good. Okay, so there you go. He's, he's being consistent as he always does. He's saying, you know what, these are the things that you have heard from me. Imitate what I'm doing and you will be okay in the process. Well, and he's then, imitating Christ. Absolutely, he's imitating. He's not telling them that, you know, I'm your example. He's saying Christ is your example. I've got the example from him and I'm following that. So just keep following what right. you've seen in me and then you'll be just fine. That's absolutely right. Christ is the example. And um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say about this before I finished because Burke got me before I finished, but that's okay. Um, uh, he is, um, I don't remember. Sorry about that. Anyway, okay, life application. If you want the peace of God and the God of peace to guide you and be with you, then pay heed to his word in your life. Apply his word to your life and set your eyes on what lies set your eyes on what lies ahead about this life by living out the faith that you profess this peace you seek from the god you seek will be yours okay apply his word to your life and set your eyes on what lies ahead of this life or about this life by living out the faith that you profess the peace you seek from the god you seek will be yours okay I said this maybe last week or maybe I said it on Sunday and maybe I just said it to somebody during the week. But this is the manual. God is the creator. He's the one that fashioned us, okay? He knows what makes us properly tick. He knows what will be the best thing for us. He knows what will keep us out of trouble. He knows what will guide us in the right way. Just think of this as, okay, I understand. Guys are not very good at this. You get in a new TV. Okay, and it comes with a whole book full of instructions and you sit down and you put it together without the instructions. I know guys especially do not like to do They want to say, I can figure this out. And then what happens is they short circuit the thing and they have to go buy another one. Okay, that is not how we should approach our Christian lives. Women will meticulously read that thing and they'll even read the uh, disclaimer at the bottom and everything else and then they'll put the thing together and they'll still be wrong, but that's their fault, okay? If, I'm kidding, ladies. Anyway, the, the point is that if we read this because he is the one that built us in the first place, we will be better off. And if we neglect this, we are the ones that are going to suffer. And as Burke noted, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That is what he is asking us to do. He is asking us to be obedient to the Lord. And if we can follow the example that Paul gave, then that's just great. This next one is short enough where if we start right now, we will be able to do it. Verse 410. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Ah, this completely different structure basically says the same thing. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Okay, let's see if we can get this done. We, yeah, we got time. Paul now refers to the giving 
yes, Paul now refers to the giving by the saints in Philippi for his needs. However, despite it having come from them and their labors, he ascribes it to having come from the Lord. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He moves to the gratitude up to the place from which it originally stems. It is not in any way a lessening of his thanks to them, but rather a highlighting of it. If someone compliments a preacher on a great sermon, he does well to say, then give the glory to the Lord. He is acknowledging the source of the goodness which they received. The same is true with Paul's words now. Okay, that's what he's doing. We'll read it again so you can see this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So he's passing it up to the Lord where it belongs, and at the same time he's giving thanks to them. Understanding this, he then says, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. The words he uses here are found only in the New Testament, and let me, hang on, is found, I'm not sure what that means. Okay, the word he uses here is found only in the New Testament, and it signifies to revive. It is what happens with the trees in spring as they sprout new leaves and revive in the warm sun and refreshing showers. It would be what a pot of flowers would do, which was deprived of water, but which revived as it received water once again. Paul is saying that the care of him by the Philippians was received by him. Their care is revived in him in this manner because of it. Okay, I saw that a couple times this past week where I've got some new plants that I've planted and I've got uh, some old plants that I've replanted and stuff and you can see them kind of wilting a little bit and then the next day you give them some water and they stand right back up, okay? It's marvelous to see how that happens. And um, what else is like that? Um, a good example of that, okay? Now, this is gonna take it way beyond Paul, but you can get the idea. He's saying, I've been revived like this. The water has refreshed me. If you've ever watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, okay? And I know this has nothing to do with the Bible, but it, it's a good lesson. Uh, Clint Eastwood did something to the ugly guy and the ugly guy got back at him. And so he had him walk in the desert for a long, long, long time and he's almost dead. And then a stagecoach comes by and a guy comes out and tells him where the gold is. And only Clint Eastwood knows where the gold is. And so now the ugly guy doesn't want Clint Eastwood to die, okay? And so there's only a little bit of water left and he takes it and he puts it on his face. He's completely, his face is just completely sunburned. There's, it's just terrible. And he says to him, don't drink any. Just put it on your lips. And the reason why is because if he did, what would have happened? He would have gone into shock and died. Okay, you want to very carefully, if you're, if you're suddenly, or if you're without water for a long, long time, probably the best thing to do is to get into the water and soak yourself and your body will absorb it that way. If you go drinking it in, gulping it in, which is what your inclination is to do, you can go into shock and die. And so this guy out in the middle of the desert knew that. And he said, don't drink it. Don't Just put it on your lips and then rubbed it on his face and his body is absorbing into there. That saved his life. Okay, if you've ever seen it, it's a great scene. Anyway, he ends up convalescing for weeks and weeks and weeks and then the story goes on from there. But that's what happened to Paul. He was revived. And how do you do that without killing yourself? Because there's a point where you can get too much and, you know, anyway. That's the point I'm making about that. He then acknowledges that the deprivation of their care was not of their making or because of a lack of attention to him, 
Rather, he says, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. The distance to reach him, the sickness of Epaphroditus, possibly because of his in incarceration, makes it impossible, and so forth, all led to this inability of them to tend to him. However, that was now past. Life application, and we're going to be done. Sometimes we, make we may take things in the wrong way when we do not hear from another person for some amount of time or because they have not attended to us in the way that was normal in the past. That happened to me two or three times in the past week. I'm wondering where are these people, are they okay, you know, whatever. In such instances, the reason may be something wholly unexpected. And so it is best to not let such lapses cause an unnecessary division. Instead, we need to handle them with the care, with care and hopefully find out the reason for them in a godly and patient manner. Okay, that's what we should be doing. It doesn't always happen in our lives. But um, Paul was very thankful to the Philippians for what they had done for him. He was being revived by them. And we can have that same reviving in our own lives when we uh, you know, are renewed by the people that are with us in one way or another. So it's a little bit difficult first to end with. I probably should have started next week with that because it's actually the beginning a paragraph but anyway um, we'll just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and we got just we're right on time today Heavenly Father <clears throat> thank you so much for the chance to come and to look into your word and to share it with others and uh, to hopefully gain some new insights into our life and into how we can conduct our lives without the trouble and the trials that we may face when we don't use the operating manual Lord thank you for this operating manual thank you that you cared enough to give it to us and to tell us this will keep you on a happy and straight path. You're a great God. You're a wonderful, wonderful creator, and you're a wonderful Savior, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for us, and we thank you in your beautiful name. Amen. Okay, let me back this baby up. Sermon, 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 break. All right.